Well, good morning. It's great to see you all here this morning. And for those that are new here, welcome. I hope that you can enjoy the service as we're together. And we're going to look at God's Word today. And uh, we've been walking through a series of talks based on Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. So we find that in our Bibles in chapters 5 and 7 of the book of Matthew. And uh, it's, it's pretty much one of the most famous couple chapters, I think, in Scripture for people who have attended church on a regular basis or grew up in the church. You'll, you'll hear things that um, you've probably heard before. So the issue today is not really like learning something maybe that you haven't heard before. Maybe you'll hear something fresh or new or remind you of something. The challenge of most of Jesus' teaching is not that it's hard to understand. It's that it's an expectation that seems to be very difficult to live out. And and I believe that what Jesus is asking his followers to do and how they're to live is actually very much impossible to do on your own. I actually don't think you can do it on your own. And so in in Matthew chapters 5 to 7, it says that Jesus sat down with his disciples and began to teach them. And so these these chapters are for, for people who wanted to follow Jesus and wanted to be like him and wanted to live in the kingdom of God now on earth. And so Jesus is is talking about what does it look like then if you were to live in this world, a broken, hurting world, and try to live the way that Jesus lived, live in relationship with other people and live with your heavenly father in the midst of, let's be honest, chaos and brokenness. What does this require of us to live like? And so he taught his disciples this. And so we've been doing this for a few weeks. This is our fourth week. And so you'll be catching up um, if you're brand new into the room for this or online. And uh, you can go back and there's notes and, of course, video online. We're going to only spend a couple more weeks um, in the Sermon on the Mount, which is very challenging for me. And uh, I was very frustrated with myself again the last couple days as we're preparing going, this is not enough weeks, this is not enough weeks to talk about this. It's so important. So I won't be surprised if we don't come back to the Sermon on the Mount later on. And, and dive into it. So I want to try my hardest um, today to stay at a higher level, a high level of understanding what is Jesus really trying to say. And so we're going to focus on, on the chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5. We've already talked about the Beatitudes. We talked about how we're called to be salt and light in the world. Uh, and we talked about last week how Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets. And what did that mean? He came to explain them. He came to complete them. He came to live them out in a way that we couldn't do it. And so we talked about that. And so we're going to get into the rest of chapter 5. And here's the challenge. I wanna, I'm going to read um, a chunk of it to you. And I don't have it on the, the screen for you. Um, it's just too much. But I want you to sit back and I want you to listen to what he's saying to those who want to follow Jesus and what it's going to look like in your relationships with one another. And so chapter 5, from from where we left off, and I'm going to start at verse 17 again, but from there forward, it really focuses on what does it look like to love people who are broken, like Jesus does, and like we're called to live. And it's very challenging when you read through it. And so I'm going to read it to you, Matthew chapter 5, from the New Living Translation. I'm going to start back, back to 17. I know we, we read that last week, but it's important you understand this first verse in 17. It says, don't misunderstand why I've come. 
I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. So I'm going to skip over the next ones because we talked about that. But this is important because you'll see that there's a kind of a brackets around um, how Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount. And so you look at this kind of, there's an introduction, which we've been spending a lot of time on. This introduction of the Beatitudes of Salt and the Light, like I've talked about. And then there's this kind of, get ready for me to explain to you how it is that we're supposed to engage God's morality character in our own lives. And so I didn't come to change what God cares about. I've come to fulfill it and explain it and to live it. And so you see this kind of verse saying, the law and the prophets, I can't fulfill that. And then it's like there's an end brackets around chapter 7, verse 12. And, and so there's a, a last verse there that we're going to go to in a minute. And it basically says, well, I'll give it to you now. How's that? And I'm just going to do it. So the first bracket is this. Don't think I've come to abolish it, right? I come to fulfill it. And the next bracket is, is this. I'm going to give it to you. And there's a big question mark there for you. So in 7, verse 12, he says this. So in everything... Don't do to others what you wouldn't want them to do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Now for those that have been in church a long time, been here for years, or read your Bible, you should be yelling at me, heresy. You misquoted. Is that what it says? Is that what the verse says? And the reason I put it up there, I put it up there incorrectly, is I want you to think about that. Because the world around us, the culture around us, has taken a hint of kind of what Jesus said, and they've turned it. And so this is a cultural, this is what normal out there people would accept. And they would say, yeah, that's right. We shouldn't do anything to people that we don't want them to do to us. And you do that, and then you're a good person. Don't do anything to other people that you don't want them to do to them. Isn't that a good, a good way to live? That's not what Jesus said. It was very, very different. And so our world has adopted this concept of do no harm. That's what we do. Just live your own life and don't hurt anybody. And so often when they look at, you know, they're standing before God and whether or not I have a good standing before God, they'll say things like, well, I haven't hurt people. I don't do things to people. That's actually not what Jesus said. Jesus' standard, and I'll put it, I'll correct it for you, just a little tweak, is this. So in everything, in everything, and this is going to, we're going to back up, because in everything that he just said, so we need to read it. So in what he's talking about, do to others. Do to others. In other words, actively pursue relationships with people. Do to others what you would have them do to you. And so to be a follower of Jesus Christ is not about not doing things it's about doing things the way Jesus would do them this sums up all the law and the prophets so here's the thing I'm Jesus is basically saying look there's a lot in here okay <laughs> there's a lot in here that you could study and know and you should I'm not saying you're not to but I love it when there's a great summary and so if you're going to hear anything that Jesus said, is like everything I'm preaching and teaching my disciples about is summed up like this. Go and do to others what you wish they would do for you. Treat people the way that you want to be treated. Love people the way that you want to be loved. 
Give to them as you would like them to give to you. React to them and their behavior the way you wish people would react to you. The problem with us in our selfishness is we tend to see ourselves in the best light. So we judge ourselves not necessarily on our behaviors, but on our intentions, on the inside. And so we, we evaluate ourselves, not necessarily in how well we're doing on the outside, but how well meaning we are on the inside. But when it comes to other people, we have a tendency to judge them on their behavior. And then so if someone says to us, but I didn't mean that, I didn't want to do that, I didn't, we go, no, 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 too bad. That's what you did. And so we typically see ourselves as the good people and the other people as the bad people. So this is what he's talking about. And I want to back up because it makes sense now to read the rest of chapter 5 in the challenge that it is. It's going to be challenging to hear. In the light of this is a proactive response to the brokenness around you. If you want, if you want to live out life like Jesus, if you want to live in the kingdom. And so I want to read you to chapter 5, and we're going to start at, let's see here, verse 21. You have heard that our ancestors were told. You're going to hear this six times, that phrase. You have heard it before. You've heard that someone has taught you. You've heard that the prophets said, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say, and so when he goes through this phrase, he's not saying that's not wrong. He's saying, I'm here to fulfill it. I'm here to explain it. I'm here to unpack the law. You've heard it was said or was taught you can't murder. Don't murder someone or you're subject to judgment. But I say, even if you are angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. In other words, God isn't going to judge you only on your behavior. Right off the bat, all throughout this passage of Scripture I'm going to read to you, internally, you'll understand that what Jesus is calling us to is to be different. That's why we call the series different. Internally, in your selfish nature or the culture around us, they would scream back at Jesus, and probably a lot of his disciples did, at least internally, not fair. Well, that's not fair. I mean, God's going to judge me on stuff I didn't do? <laughs> he's going to judge me on my feelings, my thoughts? And that's what he's coming to. So even if you're angry with someone, you are subject to be judged or judgment. If you call someone an idiot, ooh, you are in dangers of being brought before the court. If you curse someone, you are in dangers of the fires of hell. So, if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. When you are on, on the way to court with your adversary, your enemy, settle your differences quickly, otherwise your accuser may hand you over to the judge, who will hand you over to an officer and you'll be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you've paid every penny. So you've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, 
causes you to lust, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your strong hand, causes you to sin, well, cut it off and throw it away. (laughs) It's better for you to lose one part of your body, isn't it, than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. You should be saying, wait a minute, (laughs) this is a little extreme. And Jesus is using hyperbole here to say, look, sin matters a lot to God. And no, it's not just about your actions and your behavior. (laughs) Sin is a serious matter, and it's actually inside of you. It's part of the way you think. It's part of the way you look. It's part of the way you're feeling. So you've heard that the law says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she's been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. You've also heard that our ancestors were told, well, you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. But I say, do not make any vows. Do not say, by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. And do not say, by earth, because the earth is his footstool. And do not say, by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Do not even say, by my head. For you can't turn one hair white or black. Just say a simple, yes I will, or no I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. Well, you've heard that the law says, the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, well, give him your coat. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, well, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. Is it getting to be uncomfortable? You get the feeling that Jesus is suggesting that if you were to follow him, that life's not going to be very fair. (laughs) That people are going to take advantage of you. What people are going to do wrong to you? Well, you've heard that the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're only kind to your friends, how are you any different from anyone else? He's calling us to be different. Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect just as your heavenly father is perfect. There is so much in there. (laughs) And if you're like me, you're like, can you go back and explain maybe one or two of those things that stood out for you? And I think we should sometime, but I want to give you the big picture again today, the bigger picture. What is he getting at? What is he calling us to live like? What is the the big message that is coming across? He's using all this exaggerated language for sure to get our attention, to make people stop, to make people think, to make people go, hang on a second. This is very, very different for sure from anything else I've ever heard out there in the world. 
And for the disciples who were listening, it was very different not only from the out there, but also from the teachers of the religious law. The expectations of following Jesus were extreme. It was extreme. Well, I want to give you a theme and some of the themes that actually occur throughout the entire Sermon on the Mount. So that's just chapter, end of the chapter 5, and then there's chapter 6, which talks a lot more about how do we interact and love God in an authentic way. What we're talking about today is how do we love other people the way that Jesus loved other people. Here's what you need to know, that in all of these things that he's saying that we need to do, these are the ways in which he lived with other people. He is not calling us to behave in a way in which he himself did not behave. In fact, I'll push it farther, he's not calling us ever to do anything for anyone else that he hasn't already done for us. Following Jesus is following how he lived. It's not trying to follow a way that was never lived, it's following how he lived. And so if you're going to be a follower of his, you need to be a student of his. You need to be a disciple of his. You need to sit down and listen to what he's saying and reflect on it. But I want you to know, again, it is impossible for you to do it without him helping you through it. One of the big themes that you're going to pick up through the Sermon on the Mount is this. Our relationship with God is connected to our relationship with other people. This was not something that the teachers of the law did very well. It was in the law. It was written in the law. And it's why Jesus is kind of highlighting these things so much. It's because they really thought that you could have a great relationship with God and still not treat people very lovingly. And you could actually justify mistreatment of other people because you love God so much. They would take the law and they would twist it and they would say, well, we're supposed to love God first. And so if by loving God means we have to shun other people, we have to reject other people, we have to not do what we should do for other people as much because we want to prove how much we love God, then that must be the way to go. And so when Jesus says, as we read in Matthew 5 here, verses 23 to 24, he says, so if you are about to bring God an offering. Now, in our context, that was the temple. So in our context, if we're coming to worship, if you're coming to church or you're coming to your time in your Bible or you're coming to prayer or you're coming to your small group study and you are reminded or God reminds you that there's someone whom you aren't connecting well, that someone has something against you, you've hurt somebody, you've done something wrong, then God says, look, I'm changing what you think the priority is. I need you to understand that my relationship with you is intimately connected with how you relate to other people. You need to stop what you're doing, stop worshiping me, put it aside, and you need to go to those people and make it right. And when you've made it right, then you come back. And we can continue on where we left off. Jesus is taking the whole structure of what they believe is true and flipping it upside down. He says, you cannot, you cannot say 
you have a good relationship with God, but there's all these other people out there that you can't get along with or you've hurt and you've wronged and your relationships are broken. You can't have it. Jesus actually puts other people first in priority. This isn't the only time Jesus said this. The Sermon on the Mount was repeated by Jesus several times in different ways and also by the other writers of the letters to the churches. But Jesus said in John 13, a new commandment I give you, which is love one another. And for them, that wasn't, well, that's not, that's not new. That was in the Bible all the time. But the new, newness part of it was this, love one another as I loved you. In other words, you're going to love one another, but there's so many ways in which we justify how we do that. This was the problem. This is always a problem with religious people, to be honest. They hear what God says, and then they try to figure out how to manipulate it <laughs> so that it's easier to do. And Jesus says, look, you're going to love one another as I loved you, so you must love one another. Jesus lived out the Sermon on the Mount. The reason he can call us to that standard was because he was about to live it out right before their eyes and go right to the cross. He was about to be crucified by evil people for nothing he did and still ask his heavenly father to forgive them on the cross. This is what it looks like to live like Jesus in a broken world. And by this, by you loving people the way that Jesus did, that's how people will know that you're one of my disciples. If you love one another like this. And we try, I think, so often to, you know, other people will know that we're a follower of Jesus because we go to church or we read our Bible or we pray or we serve and we give and all these things. And those are all good things, but that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, they're going to know that you're actually a disciple. It's not that you're going to be religious or not. That's not it. Jesus says, people will know that you actually follow me. There's a difference between being religious and following Jesus. It's a big difference. They'll know that you follow me when you treat people the way that I have treated you. It's a whole nother level of following Jesus. In fact, John, disciple John, writes later on, taking what Jesus said, and when he's writing his letters, he says, whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. And so the big theme of the Sermon on the Mount is how are you going to just demonstrate to other people your relationship with God? It's connected. And you can't disconnect it and you can't pretend it away. <laughs> the health of your relationship with God is most visibly seen in how you're doing relationships with other people. I want us to apply in a couple ways. How do we apply all this stuff we read? I know there's a lot there and there's lots in the details and sometimes we want to get into the details and it's 
some really good things to talk about, but I want to give you a high level, and I'm going to reflect back on a few things that he said. First of all, if he's saying that we're going to be judged by our heart, not just our behaviors, then we would recognize that our actual heart needs to change here. We're all guilty, Jesus is saying. We all have these problems. And so a lot of what he's teaching now goes back to what we talked about the very first week when Jesus said, blessed are those. So those who are invited, those who belong to the kingdom of God will experience God's grace in these ways. And so it goes back, it says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Well, we know we're not pure in heart. <laughs> and so we have to engage the Holy Spirit, in the process of purifying our heart. Because we know that according to Jesus, we're all subject to judgment. So he said these things, right? If anyone's angry with a brother or sister, he's subject to judgment. If anyone even looks at another person lustfully, they've committed adultery in their heart and they're subject to judgment. The issue with this, I, I, it's like, why did he pick out a few of these? I so that's a good question. I've been reflecting on it. I don't know if I have the answers. But I was thinking he, he kind of picked two big ones here. Adultery is a big one, right? Murder is a pretty big one. I mean, these are pretty big ones. You see, but a lot of the commandments, they, there was wiggle room around them. It's like honor your parents. And so the religious leaders and the religious people, you know, they could debate what that looked like, you know. Um, Loving God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, your mind. You know, they could debate what that looks like. Do not covet. They could debate that. And even lying, you know, you can say, well, I wasn't lying. I was just not saying the truth. <laughs> like, I, I wasn't, like, lying. I just didn't say anything. So in, in a lot of the law, there, of course, was lots of wiggle room. But these were two in which people could kind of check mark off. It was pretty easy for them to be proud of themselves. and like, I haven't killed anybody. Yeah, I got one. So maybe you've gone through the Ten Commandments before. And you're like, well, at least I got that one. Like, whew, got one done. Adultery was another one. It's pretty easy, yes or no, pretty black and white. And Jesus literally takes these and goes, mucks them up and goes, it's not that easy. You thought you could actually say to yourself, well, I'm, I'm doing some of them well. Jesus is like, no, you're not. Because God's heart on this is that you don't feel or think about things in a way that's displeasing or dishonoring to who he is. And it's not loving towards other people. So Jesus takes these two that would typically be ones that people could check mark off. And he puts us back into the same camp and says, look, you're all guilty of these as well. He raises the bar. Now, he does extreme things with these, and he says things that I, I want you to know. I don't believe he's being literal, <laughs> okay? Don't think you're supposed to gouge your eyes out. Don't think you're supposed to cut off your hands. He's using what the Proverbs would use or wisdom literature would use. He's using this extreme language to kind of shake you into reality of saying, do you consider inside sin just as bad as outside sin is what he's trying to say, because God does. It doesn't mean the consequences are the same. But as when it comes to sin before God, it's, it's the same. I was looking up other, there's a proverb out there um, that I guess if you did this as well. Um, I, I, I didn't write down the, I think I did, I was trying to find it, the, the actual verse for it. 
I think it's yeah, Proverbs 23. It says, when you sit down and you dine with a ruler, so someone who's rich, and you see what's before you, and you're about to be gluttonous and eat a whole bunch, he says, put a knife to your throat. <laughs> so it's like, I don't think he's saying necessarily to do that. He's saying, look, think about your behavior before you go and act it out. Same kind of similar thing. Our heart needs to change. How do we change our heart? I want you to know you can't. <laughs> you can't, but Jesus taught this. He said, out of your heart comes these things. It comes murder. Out of your heart comes evil thoughts. Comes adultery. So these things, these actions, they start inside. Sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, in other words, lying, slander. These are the things that start with inside of you. And no matter how hard you try, you won't be able to fix that on your own. You are guilty of an unclean heart. And you need to invite God to clean you on the inside out. You need to accept his forgiveness on your behalf. You need to admit it and go, okay, I'm guilty. I can't fix myself. There's nothing I can do to be made right in your sight. And you simply accept what Jesus did on the cross on your behalf. And you say, thank you for paying for the sin that I couldn't pay for, that I couldn't fix, that I couldn't correct. And then we begin to work alongside of the Holy Spirit. Our hearts change as we surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's a journey from this point forward. I wish I could say to you that when you surrender and commit your life to Jesus Christ and you accept what he did on the cross, that... Again, bibbidi-bobbidi-boo, like, your heart is fixed and you're perfect. It's not true. It becomes now a journey of following the Holy Spirit into your relationships, into your culture, into the brokenness of the world, and simply being obedient to what he's asking you to do. Now, here's what I have learned. What he's asking you to do most times are not things that you feel like doing. <laughs> he's not going to ask you to do something you already want to do. To change your heart means this is what I want. I want vengeance. <laughs> I want eye for eye. I want tooth for tooth. That's what I want, Jesus. I want to get even. He says, I know that's what you want, but I'm asking you to forgive. And in the decision of being obedient to that, he begins to change our heart. And I know sometimes if you're like me, you've probably said, well, God, then change my heart to want to do it. <laughs> no. Trust me, surrender, and your heart will begin to change. I don't think you're ever going to feel like forgiving someone who's really hurt you. <laughs> But he's asking you to do it anyways. It's a surrender. It's a trust. It's walking obedience through adversity. I wish I could say to you that growing your heart change is going to happen in times of plenty or blessing or, you know, like everything good or joy. That's actually not when your heart changes. Your heart changes when you're in situations of adversity, of difficulty, of challenge, of sorrow, of grief. And you surrender anyways. And your heart begins to change. 
Another way that we need to apply this loving others is simple. We've already said it many times, but I need to make it clear. Is loving others, according to Jesus, means we're going to respond to others as he responded to you. And that's why he said in the Beatitudes, the beginning of the chapter, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So you're going to find joy in being merciful because you're going to receive mercy as well. And so we're being asked to do that. And we didn't get to chapter 6, but I have to go there to fill this out for you. In chapter 6, verses 14 to 15, Jesus literally says, If you forgive other people, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. It's pretty straight. It's pretty hard. And in chapter 7, it kind of says it this way. In the same way you judge others, you will be judged. To live the way that Jesus asks us to live means to give up the rights to judge other people the way we want to judge them. It means that we, we, if you're going to live in God's kingdom on this world, so you can live as a child of God in this broken world. And the way that you begin that life, where you're born into this kingdom, is by receiving or breathing in the mercy and grace that Jesus gives you. It, think of it as like the heir of the kingdom is grace and mercy, forgiveness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. That the fruit of the Spirit is like the atmosphere of the kingdom of God. And he's like, look, you cannot live in that for you at the same time that you want to live in the kingdom of the law or this world with other people. You, you can't do both. You either breathe and live in the acceptance that Jesus gives you and the forgiveness and grace and mercy he gives you, if you're going to live there, that means you have to live there with other people. You can't say, well, no, I want the law for them. I want them to get their tooth knocked out. I want the law for them, but I want grace for me. And Jesus says, you can't do that. If you're choosing to hold people accountable to the law and judgment then you're saying you do not want to live in the kingdom of God. That's what he's saying. You can't, you can't take a bit of each. <laughs> and so how important is it that we understand that this isn't something we just receive, but this is something that we breathe into our relationships. And so in Ephesians, we, we read this, this verse before here. I'll read it many times. One of my... I think it's one of the um, verses that's been most impactful in my life. It says this, don't sin, Ephesians 4, it's Paul talking to the church now, trying to follow Jesus. Don't sin by letting anger control you. For anger gives a foothold to the devil in your life. Get rid of bitterness, rage, and anger. Brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. And this is the key again. Just as. So he's not asking you to do something that you haven't experienced. 
He's not asking you to live out in this kingdom of God where you haven't received any of this. He's not asking you to be forgiven, forgiving when you haven't been forgiven. He's not asking you to be merciful when you haven't been shown mercy. He's saying he can ask us to do this because we received it to be in the kingdom of God in the first place. He's not going to ask you to do something that you haven't personally experienced. Here's what I believe. Again, I've said it already today. This is very different. Because if you talk this language in the culture around to people who do not follow Jesus Christ, who have not experienced forgiveness for their sin, who have not understood the mercy of God poured on them, they think forgiving someone is one of the dumbest things you ever can do. It is not fair. And if you ever even talk about forgiving someone who's hurt you wrong, you'll have tons of people coming around you going, no, 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 no. Don't do that. You'll get hurt. They'll take advantage of you. You can't trust them. It's eye for eye, tooth for tooth. They did it to you. You do it to them. That's, that's the world. But we're just called to live different. Here's what Jesus knew. That in a world in which we're always trying to make life fair or 50-50, we're all going to be blind and toothless eventually. Because you're not perfect. If you ever try to enter into a relationship with somebody and live out fairness, you have to know it will dissolve on you. Any marriage that is a 50-50 relationship will not last. Why? Because the minute that I've been wronged, if it's fair to wrong them, what kind of spiral is that going to create in our relationship? One of chaos and destruction. If every time I make a mistake with my relationship with my wife and my wife turns around and makes it even, how do you think that's going to work out? I don't know. I wasn't going to say this, but let's just look at Israel and Palestine as an example. How far back do you go? Which wrong are you defending? Which one are you trying to correct? Which one are you trying to make right? Yeah, but this is what you did. Yeah, but this is what you did. Well, how many generations do you want to go? You want to go 50 years, 60 years, 100 years, 1,000 years, 2,000 years? I mean, it goes and goes and goes and goes. It never brings about peace. Jesus knew that if we wanted to experience grace, mercy, and peace in our relationships, that there's only one way to do it. It's for him to first give it to us, to set us free, so that we also can set others free. That is the calling of the church. Blessed are the peacemakers. They'll be called children of God. We are to called to reconcile relationships. That's our calling. If you're going to live in the kingdom of God, you have to know that we're called into a ministry of reconciliation. And if we're peacemakers, in other words, peacemakers are giving grace, mercy, forgiveness, he's like, you'll be called children of God. Why? Because that's how God treats us. So he says to them, if you know that you have a broken relationship, then go and be reconciled. I'll wait. God's not in a hurry. 
God knows that your character transformation doesn't just take place by you coming to worship. (laughs) It takes place by acting out the way Jesus acts towards others. It's in the hard conversations of reconciliation. It's in the hard decision to forgive somebody that we become like his child. It's not when we isolate our relationships away from God and we just try to become a good character person in relationship with God. We worship, we read our Bible, we pray, we do all these things. Jesus is like, no, that's not how you become like me. You become like me when you engage with the people that are broken around you. Love your enemies that you may be children of your Father in heaven. That's what we read. To the letter of the church, Paul wrote this. Look, God has given us the task of reconciling people to himself. For God was in Christ and he was reconciling the world to himself. He was no longer counting people's sins against them. That's what Jesus did. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. He gave us the same ministry. Jesus was going around reconciling relationships. And if we're going to follow him, that is our calling as well. Applying it another way is being faithful to your commitments. One of the things you're going to see again and again through Jesus' teaching is that we need to be faithful to what we say. And so he said, I tell you, anyone divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes a victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. These are harsh things. All you need to simply say is yes or no. What is he saying? That if you're going to follow me, you need to be faithful. Why? Because God is faithful. He's faithful to all his promises, to all his commitments. He's not going to reject you. He's not going to walk away when your relationship gets difficult. He is faithful. And so if we're going to become like him or we're going to live in the kingdom of God, then for us to be faithful becomes a high requirement as well. James repeated what Jesus said later on. He said, most of all, most of all. (laughs) So James is a a book written with just, if you ever want to read a real practical way that you live again, like Christ, James is that book. And his conclusion sentence of all the things he said about how to live with other people, he says, so most of all, if you're going to live like Jesus, never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else, just a simple yes or no. So that you will not sin and be condemned. Now, in Jesus' day, religious people, of course, were busy trying to figure out loopholes. And so they would make oaths and commitments and they would do it in such a way that there was a way out. And so they could violate their word if they said it in such a way. And Jesus is saying, enough of that. Enough of that. If you have to do that, then your heart is corrupted again. And we do this actually all the time. I don't know if you've ever done that. But we say things, or maybe you've heard people say, I swear by my mother. I swear on my mother's grave. I, you know, we add to it. And this is what people were doing. What does it demonstrate when you have to do that, when you have to say, on my own kids, this is what I mean by that? What is it saying? Saying you've lost credibility. 
means your words don't mean anything, so you have to ramp it up. You have to add something to it. And Jesus is like, in the kingdom, if you're going to follow me and be like me, just speak truth. Don't exaggerate. Simply do what you say you're going to do. So a lot of these thoughts around what Jesus is saying seem like a huge challenge. (laughs) And I just, I think the main thing that you need to hear from this, there's lots in there for sure to unpack, is simply this. How do I know if I'm growing in my relationship with Jesus Christ? How do I know if I'm becoming more like him? You have to look at the relationships around you. Are you more merciful to people when they fail? Do you find it easier to forgive when people hurt you? Are you less judgmental on people when you see their life circumstances? I mean, one of the worst things (laughs) that is said about the church, God's people, is that it's a judgmental place. If there's ever a place where people should be able to walk in the door and feel like they're in a safe room, in a safe group of people, it's people who are fully aware that they don't deserve what they've been given. That they're so aware of the grace and mercy of God in their own life that they just hand it out randomly and quickly. And so we need to actually live like Jesus in the world. It's not like we just need to know what he said. That's easy. It's really easy. The question is, are you allowing him to lead you into your relationships through the difficult times of forgiving people, of turning the other cheek when someone says something nasty about you? These are not easy things. I want you to know that this isn't flippant to Jesus. When he's asking you to live like this, he knew what he was going to go through. He was rejected. He was despised. He was spit upon. He was falsely accused. He was eventually murdered an innocent person. He's just engaging us that if we want to be one of his, This is what it looks like to live in relationship with people. Broken people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we recognize today that our hearts are not like yours. (laughs) We want to protect ourselves. You said we need to deny ourselves. We want to defend ourselves. And yet you didn't defend yourself with accusations that were flung at you. There's a gap between our heart and yours. And yet, no matter how hard we try, we, we can't change it on our own. So I pray in the midst of everything we talked about today, would you simply tell us one area where we need to follow through on what you've asked us to do today so that you can begin to change and soften our hearts. If there's a person that we need to approach, a relationship we need to reconcile, an enemy we need to forgive, 
if there's a promise we've made that we've broken, would you just reveal to us a step today we could take in obedience, not because we know it's going to be easy or not because it's something we want to do, but because we know you're asking us to do it, that our hearts would become transformed to become more like you today. As you reveal that to us now, would you go with us, give us the courage, the boldness to step in faith in this way. In Jesus' name. Amen.